These are not typically the sounds you think of when you envision the sounds of home for a mountain lion. But for one famous cat named P-22, these urban noises were home. My name is Serena Simons, and on today's first episode back of our new season on the Earth to Humans podcast, we speak with one woman who knows just how wild life was for a big cat stuck in the heart of one of the largest cities in the world, Los Angeles. here serena simons we are with the earth to humans podcast and if you haven't seen our faces in a while that makes sense because we've been on a little bit of a break hiatus working on some stuff in the background um to bring really cool exciting content to everybody in this new season so we're back (laughs) yeah yeah and we got a bunch of exciting new things we got a brand new website um, the folks can check out um, at earthtohumanspod.com. And it looks really beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matt put it together. Did oh, a really good job. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks great. Um, but Matt, what's been going on with the podcast since we've been away? Well, we've got a bunch of, I guess, like, I don't know, exciting updates. They're, they're exciting to us. Um, <laughs> we, they're exciting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mentioned the new website. Um, we're also launching uh, a newsletter. So uh, each episode moving forward will be accompanied by an awesome newsletter written by either Serena or myself or Hannah, our other producer, um, just kind of sharing some uh, additional feedback and perspective on the episode that they produced. Yes. Um, And in addition to that, we're going to have really cool new graphics, too. Uh, We're going to have amazing. Oh, I'm so excited to share the episode artwork that we have for each episode, um, as well as a kind of revamped brand new logo, maybe a little bit of animation thrown into that newsletter as well. So I think it's going to look and and feel really exciting. I think it's going to allow folks to connect to us. Um, you know, the folks behind the podcast on a little bit of a deeper, more personal level. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're really excited about this, uh, the new website and the, the newsletter. <laughs> We've been putting in the work, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, we're missing our other important person, Hannah Mulvaney. She's our other amazing producer. Um, but we have all three of us have been working behind the scenes um, trying to bring you guys some really cool content. Um, so... This next episode, the very first episode we have back is about P-22. And Matt, do you know anything about P-22? I I do know about P-22 because uh, we've uh, talked about P-22 in a past episode of the podcast, but it was years and years ago. Um, So I'm super excited to get the update. 
Yeah. So P-22 is a mountain lion um, that got famous in the Los Angeles area, Santa Monica Mountains, um, because he was completely fragmented from the rest of his mountain lion cohort in the mountains um, because of the huge 101 freeway, which is a 10-lane massive freeway. He somehow managed to cross um, and make it to the other side in one piece. We still don't really know how he managed to do that. But he, you know, he just kind of made a life for himself in Griffith Park. Um, and the local community of Los Angeles really rallied around him. Um, he just became kind of the world's most famous mountain lion. Some great photos were taken of him in front of the Hollywood sign. Um, and it just kind of galvanized a lot of interest in um large carnivores, predators, and just urban wildlife in general. Um, and so we're going to talk with Beth Pratt. She's the California director of the National Wildlife Federation, and she's been the champion for P22 um, throughout this whole process. And um, if you have been kind of keeping up with the story, um, P22 did um, pass away uh, at the end of December 2022, so just a few months ago, um, but had a really beautiful long life up to that point and, and did a lot of really cool things. And the biggest thing that I think uh, to come out of that is the creation of this amazing, the largest wildlife crossing in the world, which is already in, in construction. It's almost done. And it's going over that huge 10-lane freeway of the 101 freeway. So not only did he help other mountain lions, you know, get over the 101 freeway, but he's also helping other species, you know, deer, birds, insects, coyotes, foxes, you know, you name it, um, are all going to be able to use that um, wildlife crossing and get to the other side um, without getting smushed by all the insane vehicle traffic that is Southern California. So um, really excited to chat with Beth again about um, updates that have been going on and, you know, the legacy of P22. Um, so I think it's a great first episode to get us back into the game uh, for this new season of Earth to Humans. Yeah, for sure. I'm super excited. Um, I mean, yeah, that um, that wildlife crossing, I mean, I don't know, the, the story behind it is amazing um, and it is yeah, it's it's a amazing way for P twenty two story to come full circle. Absolutely. Um, so I wondered if you could just give us a quick little introduction. Remind us who you are, Beth. It's been six years since we last had you on the podcast. Um, who are you? And kind of localize us to Beth Pratt. Like, what do you do? What's your thing? Well, first, thanks for having me back on. You know, it's been six years, but I got it. I mean, it seems like a century in some respects of, of what's happened, you know, in, in between those six years. But I guess the geography of Beth or, uh, the psychogeography, uh, I kind of split my time between two worlds. I have a really great job in that I oversee conservation work for the National Wildlife Federation uh, in California, even though we're a national group. It's, I'm on the, the best state to do wildlife work in. Uh, we have even a wildlife-friendly governor. 
but I uh, a lot of that has has been dominated by this wildlife crossing outside of Los Angeles, which is a national park girl. Never envisioned myself working on urban wildlife conservation, but but here we are. I'm now probably one of its biggest champions. Um, so I'm in the Los Angeles area a lot, which I've really come to love. But I actually live outside Yosemite National Park. I worked in Yosemite for a decade. Uh, most of my career has been spent more in national parks. I worked in Yellowstone. Um, so I kind of have these two worlds. I divide my time from very urban environment and then, of course, some of our most remote, you know, um, wilderness uh, on the, you know, in the country. So it's, it's fun. I love both. Like, I equally love, you know, bird watching in downtown LA is as much as I like looking at pica at, you know, 12,000 feet. <laughs> I think a lot of people tend to think of, you know, like outdoorsiness, getting out, seeing wildlife, definitely in more of the setting where we live. What do you think the value is of creating space in urban landscapes for wildlife and educating people in those areas about their local habitats and ways that they can get involved in conservation? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think it's, it is it is the question in my mind for conservation. I was one of those people, you know, when I was getting my biology field degree, it's got over 30 years ago now, it's a little scary, and coming up in conservation, you know, the dominant view really was you put the wildlife here and the people here and, you know, never the two shall meet. Um, and I think what has emerged is what I love about science. We know both we know that scientifically we were wrong. Um, I mean, there's the whole, you know, a wildlife needs large landscapes to survive and they need connectivity across landscapes. And that's going to have to include our urban and human spaces. Um, and also when the number one threat to wildlife worldwide is a loss of habitat, you can't write off human spaces as, as being undesirable. And that's really what it is. It's not that ecologically it doesn't work. It's just undesirable in the terms of our perceptions for wildlife. You, you can't have that. So the science now shows us we were wrong. But I think for me, equally as important is we were socially wrong. Um, we were socially wrong in that for people to connect to wildlife and for wildlife to have a future because people love and support wildlife, you know, not everybody's going to get to a Yosemite to see a bear or, you know, even something smaller. We have to connect people to nature in their backyards um, for people to care. I mean, I think if anything, the, the P-22 story really shows that, that, uh, you know, people who had never connected to a, an environmental cause before had because it was local, because it was something that had meaning for them. It wasn't this far off place. Um and then I'll also take that one step deeper. I think it morally it's a right. I mean, how dare we tell people it's not a meaningful wildlife experience to see your backyard squirrel or your backyard chickadee? And we had this, um, we have a lot of schools we work with. A lot of them are in very, you know, areas with no green space, you know, really uh, communities that, you know, come from uh, backgrounds economically disadvantaged. You know, they're never going to get up to a Yosemite. And... Connecting with those kids and seeing how they connected to P-22 and still do, but also their local wildlife, whether it be a ladybug or a butterfly. You know, there's this one school who um, has 100% school of color. A lot of, um, about, I think, 30% of their parents are undocumented. And, you know, when I was a second grader, I, you know, I come from like lower middle class. You know, I had the woods if I got a bad grade or a boy didn't like me. And I'd go and nature would bring me psychological safety and comfort, right? 
these kids are experiencing challenges in second grade that I couldn't even dream of. They'd go home, especially during the last administration, and not know if their parents were going to be there because they were deported. And nature provides the same psychological safety for them. And you had a little boy on stage. This is when it really hit me, our first P-22 day. From the school, this little boy was on stage. He's a second grader, and he's reading a letter to P-22, and he said, P-22, I'm sorry, you're sad, lonely, and scared. I've been there before. And, oh, my God, it both broke my heart that a second grader would say that, but P-22 brought him comfort, right? It brought him the same thing those woods as a kid did for me. So to me, it's become a moral right that we have to recognize nature is in these places and that people connect to nature just as deeply as anybody does to a Yosemite experience. And and how dare we say it's not as good, you know? So I, I get I, that's where I land both scientifically and socially these days. This this We have to redo our thinking. Nature is everywhere. It is in cities. It, it's not of any less value uh, as it is in a Yosemite. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautifully, beautifully said and, and so, so true. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to get into P22, you know, as you're wearing a mountain lion sweater, <laughs> you're like P22's biggest champion has been Beth. And, um, you know, we talked in 2017 you know, kind of take us back to where we were then, and then we kind of we'll we'll fast forward to now. You know, I put together for the um, you know uh, once he uh, you know we lost him, and then we obviously had this this memorial service, um, celebration of life, things like that. This memory lane, you know, I went back over at least for me. I've been working on this project now for almost eleven years, and it was really interesting to go back to the archives and, you know, sort through photos and news articles and, you know, to your question, see how far we come. And 2017, you know, 22, I think, you know, he was firmly established as a global celebrity. Uh, We had a feature article in the New Yorker, which, as you know, New York is not usually very, there's something about New York and L.A. You know, L.A. does not get a lot of coverage from New York. New York can be pretty disdainful of the Los Angeles or the Cal. And so to get a, you know, 5,000 word feature in the New Yorker was pretty impressive. Um, we were doing our second P-22 day. We obtained the gift from the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation, which was big for us. And the environmental review had just been completed for the crossing. So... It was a it was a pretty significant year, I think, for both P twenty two and the project. I think in you know just that next step towards making the crossing a reality uh, had been achieved. So um, yeah, it's interesting to look back, uh, given how far we had to come and now where where we're at. Yeah, I remember the the wildlife crossing was still kind of kind of you know in in the limbo period. wasn't quite sure if you were going to get the funding needed to get it done. Um, and, you know, just to see where, how far we've come and what P22, you know, as kind of a symbol has been able to accomplish alongside you and your colleagues and other agencies. It's, it's been truly amazing to see. What what a legacy for yeah. that cat. And you're right, in 2017, I mean, I always proceeded with my stubbornness as I got involved in that we are going to do this. Like you have to, you can't, you can't take on a, pro- a a project of this visionariness and magnitude and go into a thing and well maybe it'll happen. I'll I'll just I mean I had to proceed full speed ahead, assuming you know with the intent of I 
one of my favorite movies about leadership is Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Not just because Brad Pitt is easy to look <laughs> at on the screen, but, you know, he did the same thing with Moneyball. He, like, okay, I'm all in. Like, this may not work, but I have to proceed and give it my all as a leader. And he took a lot of hits, you know. Uh, the, it was based on a, a true story, the Oakland A's manager, Billy Bud, I think his name was. And, uh, and that was the same with The Crossing. Like, I... You know, there's always the possibility we weren't going to get there, but I, I had to ignore that. And um, yeah, in 2017, certainly I was having dark moments of the soul, like, oh my God, all right, you know, we got the environmental review done and Leo just gave to us, but oh my God, we just, we still have tens of millions to raise and, you know, how do we get there? So um, it's been, it's it's a great place to be in right now the crossing is under construction i mean i get to drive by it and see you know the pillars go up uh i'd say you know the only to me the the sad piece is that p22 um did his job he got this made this crossing a reality but you know is not here now to kind of celebrate with us once once it opens um but on the other hand he lived a very long life for a mountain lion uh his end still it deeply saddens me that in the end it was that lack of connectivity and cars that kind of kind of doomed him. But on the other hand, he had you know he had twelve years to to be a mountain lion and was embraced by LA, but the world, as we saw from his the response to his death, which even me, who's been advocating for him, you know, for ten years, was not prepared for him to tr- trend on Twitter the day he died for. Rolling Stone magazine and The Economist to cover his his um his death and and to me that really helped to see how he had inspired the world. You know, it's still a hard time. I I just went to his uh, more quiet. You know, we had the big celebration of life for him, but we uh, are the indigenous leaders also did this past weekend a very private, very small uh, burial, which was beautiful. But I'm still, I think, those of us who work closely with him. You know, it's still it's still really raw for us. So, but that helps, right? That outpouring of support um, across the world really helps because, yeah, you know, he may be physically dead, but he is still changing people. He's still changing the world, and I think that that is comforting, I guess, to know the legacy he's left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A- anything you can share about? I, I know P twenty two was laid to rest in the Santa Monica Mountains, kind of in an undisclosed area, but. You know, anything that was kind of going through your head in that moment, you know, being invited to that really special moment with the indigenous community and being part of that? I mean, any did anything come to you, make you feel like anything or? You know, I guess a few things. I guess um, when I saw the, the site, what occurred to me was just, you know, P-22 his whole life never sort of got that natural peace. Uh, you know, there's actually recordings that the Natural History Museum has an exhibit on P-22, and they actually play the soundscape when you're in that exhibit of Griffith Park, mm-hmm. which is extremely loud. I mean, you got helicopters, mm-hmm. traffic, you know, you name it. I mean, in some respects, P-22, he made it work, but he never had a quiet moment his whole life, right? And it was, I think part of me was like, oh, he's here's here's the peace and quietude that you know, escaped him in, in life. Um, also, in some respects, it's, you know, it was sort of a return, you know, I mean, the, the Cinematic Mountains run right into Griffith Park. It's the terminus. So 
but we know he came from, you know, more the the central Santa Monica Mountains because of genetic testing. So in some respects, it was like the logical conclusion to his journey. Um, I'd say the other thing, I'm not sure it occurred to me so much at the ceremony, but it was reinforced. I think that what P-22 helped shape um, for a lot of people was a different way of looking at wildlife that I think I, I wrote in. So Reflections is less based on dominance and more on that these are fellow beings that we need to respect. Now, that's always been my view. I, I tend to be more an animal rightsy side of, you know, the, the conservation and, and leadership. But obviously, that's not a view that is largely wide held. We, I think, even in our policies and wildlife management, we still tend to, you know, California is definitely further along in this and, and more progressive, but but not perfect, but still, you know, a lot of other places, it's more that dominant view. We have the right to do with what we want uh, with animals. And, you know, P-22 is always a testament to to that value, to us having a different value in California. Any other state in the country, he wouldn't have even been allowed to stay in Griffith Park. He would have been removed or shot probably in most other states immediately upon detection. So I think he's always stood for this change in value system of thinking of animals as more fellow beings worthy of respect. And that is more in line with indigenous cultures. And so it really, you know, for me, the the private burial and the ceremony and the respect and reverence they showed for this animal to me was, you know, what I hope happens more even with wildlife management agencies across the country, right, is that we need to look at it differently. So I love that his, like, final ceremony for burial was a testament to, you know, we should be doing that for all animals. You know, I, I have a friend um, who, she, when she sees, she's a photographer, when she sees roadkill, you know, an animal that's been hit by a car, she will move it into, you know, nearby forest or meadow, put flowers on it and, and accord it help to the next place, showing respect. Because, yeah, I mean, these are fellow beings and to just leave them on the side of the road uh, or, you know, so I, I feel like the the ceremony itself was beautiful. It was moving. It helped me achieve some peace. Much like a very different version of that did the celebration of life with six thousand people. Right? I mean, these are all different versions. I think of a value system we need to change, and I think especially tribal and indigenous um, leaders that that's always been their ethic around wildlife. Right? They may hunt them, they may use them, but that respect was accorded in a way that we don't in our modern cultures. So I think that's what occurred to me during both the ceremony and the celebration of life. And also just P-22's legacy, I think, is that people people do now see animals sometimes more as individuals, and that's a good thing. But just because the other thing is the red-tailed hawk, uh, P-22 may, there's something about red-tailed hawks with him. We had a red-tailed hawk circle at the Greek theater and then a red-tailed hawk at the private ceremony flew over and called quite loudly. Um, so I don't know if that's P-22 coming back. I don't know if that's just an animal that's helping P-22 on his journey. But um, I, I kind of like to think it's P-22 because then he gets to fly. He's not trapped, you know, like he was in life. He was very trapped by geography, but as a, a red-tailed hawk, has freedom. So I, I like to think that's him, but, you know, I'm not, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go ahead and say it was, Yeah. Um, you know, I'm 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 from SoCal. I'm I was really proud of 
SoCal for allowing, not only allowing P22 to kind of make it work in that area and kind of that urban wildlife, urban interface, which, you know, especially for LA folks, they're not used to a animals, but B large carnivores, you know? And so I think when we talk about a lot of these hot button issues, whether it's wolves, whether it's brown bears or mountain lions, you know, interacting with urban areas and the public, you know, there, there is the potential for conflict always. Um, but I think, you know, residents did a, did a, I was really impressed with the way that they, allowed p22 into their space even though that was his space to begin with you know but allowed p22 into their urban space and like created this coexistence mindset that really rippled i feel like across the whole city and and created this relationship with him and not only him but other mountain lions and other large carnivores you know so i think i think you're right i think his legacy goes far beyond just his story um, I think this is a, a great, you know, anecdote for other issues that we have coming up that are, you know, as we keep expanding and developing everywhere in the world, we're going to start seeing more of these interactions and having to deal with them in maybe a, a way similar to P22 than, you know, just going in hot and getting rid of, you know, the quote unquote problem, um, you know, because there is a, a place for large predators. Large predators are keystone species that really push an ecosystem along and help it thrive. Um, you know, so I, I guess from the P22 story, where do you see this going forward in the future? You know, you kind of touched on it a little bit with, you know, hoping that we can start to see um, animals more as individuals and, um have a greater respect for them, no matter if it's a coyote or a bird, you know what I mean? Um, where do you, where do you see this legacy going across the world into the future? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, I think, I think what P22 did was show us what was possible, right? Um, and in a way that a scientific paper can't, and I, listen, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm, scientist isn't my day job, but I consider myself a scientist. I have a, science degree i do do some research here and there but you know my job as a conservation leader is to make the science happen right so jeff and seth the biologists for the national park service tell me they need a wildlife crossing because of their science then that's my job to make it happen um but so the science you can't do any of this stuff without the science and um and i think that's you know that's a balancing act we need in this it, it was interesting you know that there was this sort of lines being drawn around P-22's remains with the museum on one extreme wanting to stuff and put him on exhibit, which I was not for at all. Um, you know, again, this is our neighbor, right? You don't put your neighbor. But on the other extreme, you had some of the indigenous leaders saying, well, we don't want any science done. You can't even take scientific sampling from him, right? So this is where I think that tension needs to be resolved in that, of you know, we couldn't save these cats without the science. So, you know, you kind of need a middle ground, but we also don't want, you know, P-22 or other animals treated with the disrespect of stuffing and mounting them, right? So, so I think there's, a, we still, I think, have as a, um, as a larger society grappling with, you know, how to strike that balance, um, you know, between respect to people as well, right? I, 
you know, I, I don't think this is just a, a wildlife thing, right? It's how do you get that balance of perspective maybe is the way to put at it. And I feel like P22 really showed how you can do both, right? You can both look at an animal individualistically. You can look at what he represents for a species. You can look at what contributes to science all together. And so, I, I again, I love that he has at least got people, even if they don't agree sometimes, thinking about a new way of doing things. I think it was a good teaching moment for all around um, it involved in the discussion of his remains that, you know, the extreme sides weren't going to get us to a good place. And I think that's what he's done overall, right? I mean, even in his death, but that we need a new ethic of thinking about wildlife, as, as we've talked about, that both, you know, allows us to use science to manage and protect them, but also brings in a more, uh, I'm not religious, but a more... Um, reverence and spiritual connection to these animals as well uh, and give them you know the the same regard they are life on this planet right um and i do to your original point i just applaud la so much you know it doesn't come without challenges i mean p22 at times could be challenging to live with right although i get more complaints about ground squirrels than you know mountain lions you know living um, you know, for the most part, he kind of, you know, kept to himself. But, you know, he obviously the koala was a an example. Um, and obviously at the end, when he was under grave health distress, his behavior changed radically overnight. But I would say it's never zero risk with wildlife any more than it's zero risk with people. I mean, I can't tell you you're going to walk down the street tomorrow and not get mugged, right? So, so I think that's what he's done is showed what was possible, that you can do this. And and not just in L.A., right? If L.A. can do it, then what excuses any other city have? I know I'm rambling, but I think this, this to me, like, ties the, it together good with a button that the, the the day he was put down after I had to do all those news interviews, and I'm in my hotel room looking at Griffith Park, and I remember thinking, well, I was looking very sadly, like, it's never going to be the same. But then I thought about that a different way, and it made me really hopeful. Yeah, it's never going to be the same because... P-22 showed a mountain lion to be there. And now you can never look at Griffith Park and say a mountain lion can't be there. And so, you know, he opened the door to show a new way of thinking that has cities and urban areas all over the world rethinking what it means to live with wildlife. So that's what I see the future um, of uh, for him. And then he's inspired, like, I mean, this new wildlife crossing fund I'm leading up. You know, we're going to do more crossings because of him. We're going to help more animals. So not bad for a small town cat, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I do want to go back a little bit, but before we go back, I wanted to talk about the, the status of the crossing and kind of what it, what it looks like and the implications for it. I mean, this is, remind me again, this is going to be the, the largest wildlife crossing? Yeah, by, depending on how you measure it. And listen, I hope somebody knocks us off because that would be success. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> we need more. But pretty much I keep I keep asking for, you know, truth checking and I keep being told, yes, it, largest crossing of its kind is the way to put it. Um, there's some crossings that are longer, but they're not one structure. You know, they're kind of a series. Um, but but ours is definitely the most ambitious, largest ever tackled. Not because I wanted to build the largest. I would have been very happy building the smallest. I could have gotten a lot of my life back. But uh, we're trying to put it over one of the 
largest and busiest freeways in the world. And that's what dictated, you know, the size. You know, and it's not just the size. I mean, and there's an access road, Agora Road, we're also having to put it over. So you have 10 lanes of pavement plus an access road. It's not just sort of the length we have to cover that, that dictates the size. It's also some other challenges that we had to design things that make the, the project scope bigger. One is sound. So like the 101 freeway is one of the busiest freeways in the world. You get 300 to 400,000 cars a day on that freeway. I've been out there at 2 a.m. It never stops. You're putting a cross like in Utah, like the one that went viral, Parley Summit, great crossing, works. They get, I think, 10,000 cars a day. The sides of their crossing, I think, is a chain link fence because they don't have to mitigate noise like we do. Mitigating for 300 to 400,000 cars a day, we have to build a vegetated sound wall. I mean, it's insane because if it's too noisy, the animals won't use it. They will think, you know, they have to be tricked into thinking they're not walking over the freeways. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's a pretty ambitious project on so many levels, but it's all dictated by what we needed to get the animals to cross, which is, you know, that freeway is a monster. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I still can't believe that P-22 is able to cross that. We we don't even like driving on it, right? (laughs) No, no. We avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The 101 and the 405, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know how Pete, as somebody who's followed his route, his likely route, you know, I've retraced it in an annual hike now for, this will be my eighth year coming up. I don't know how he made it. I don't know how I made it. I mean, it's not even just the 101 and the 405, which, yeah, I mean, you couldn't pay me a million bucks to dash across those roads, even at 2 a.m. You'd probably die. No. But even the secondary roads, like the Holland has no sidewalks. Like, people can't even walk on it, you know, um, without risking their lives. So it's insane what he, that he was even able to get to Griffith Park. Yeah. And with this crossing, I I think the beauty of it is that it's, it's for all wildlife. All wildlife is going to now be able to cross this huge roadblock that has prevented them from spreading out and diversifying like they need to. It's just been this huge challenge. So we're going to we're going to see not only hopefully other mountain lions use it, but other undulates. And, you know, so I'm, I'm really excited to see just how this one mountain lion was able to help. So, so many more species beyond his own species, too. And I just think that that's something about that is just so beautiful. I agree. It's so hopeful. I mean, like P-22 is a game changer and all the stuff we've already talked about, but with crossings, too. Um, so, as you note, this is a lot of crossings and there's nothing wrong with them. But when, you know, I've, I feel like I have a Ph.D. in crossings now. I've toured a lot of them. We are building it um, to get big animals from point A to point B. Great, right? Um, you know, a lot of these areas, you know, like Utah, Wyoming, Montana, they have a roadkill problem. They have, animals are getting hit by cars. They don't have what we have, which is a wholesale ecosystem degradation or the threat of an extinction of a species like the mountain lions. Um, so they're designing it for conveyance. What is a game changer too, which has not really been done at, at all at this level, is we are putting a biological layer on top of this bridge that you don't see in other crossings. Usually they'll just throw some gravel and a couple boulders and a couple plants up and call it a day, which again is fine for those situations. But we are actually recreating the native ecosystem because 
it is the whole Santa Monica Mountains have been isolated by the 101. So to your point, yeah, mountain lions are going to be saved by this and be able to cross. But we're going to have butterflies using it. We're going to have, you know, squirrels, western fence lizards, birds, foxes. Um, and what the National Park Service's research showed, it wasn't just the mountain lions that were being genetically fragmented from this isolation. It was the fence lizards and and birds. You know, I mean, it, it, it was... It impact and plants. It was impacting the entire ecosystem. You need connectivity to be biologically complete. We know that islands, you know, they tend to do things evolutionary that cannot sometimes be sustainable long term, uh, especially when they're hu they're human induced environments, right? Um, so this reconnection is so broad scale that I hope again becomes a model for other crossings. To me, at this point. If you're going to put a crossing across the road, why not throw an ecosystem on it? Like it can't, you know what I mean? It can't hurt. Um, uh, and that allows, that doesn't then leave the little guys off the table, right? So I think it's also ushering in a new thinking about what does a wildlife crossing mean? And maybe it's not even called crossings anymore. Maybe it's called, you know, I, I don't know what it is, eco bridges or, you know, I, I don't even like the term bridges sometimes, but, you know, these are ecological stitches to a landscape that we fragmented. And I'm with you. It's very hopeful. I love that people in the 101 will be commuting. And not only could there be a mountain lion crossing while they're commuting, there could be a quail family living on top of this. You know, there could be um, butterflies. I feel, you know, during butterfly migration season in LA and, and up here outside Yosemite, I feel like a mass murder, right? So, you know, butterflies are now going to have a, a passage that they don't get hit. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wholesale, like you said, a ecosystem approach that is going to benefit almost any wildlife that lives in the Santa Monica Mountains. Yeah. And, you know, this is kind of a, a solution to a problem that we created. And I, I hope that this can maybe inspire ways that we can work with the landscape better, you know, not just cutting huge swaths of freeway through a, an important biological area. And maybe we can start to change our infrastructure in cities, in rural areas where we're not always prioritizing our convenience. You know what I mean? And so I think that this crossing is a, a great solution to a problem that we created, but I really hope moving forward that we, we start to better understand our impact and maybe prioritize other species over ourselves. Nicely put. I feel like that's, you know, we're we're living in an era where the consequences of prioritizing ourselves over or thinking ourselves outside of the natural environment is like what is it uh, f around and find out we're finding out the consequences of that right look at I mean we were you know we were talking before I have you know this past summer it was 114 degrees at my house it has never mm -hmm. been 114 degrees at my house probably in the last few hundred years the why I had four acorn woodpeckers at my bird bath gasping for breath. I had deer trying to get in the house. I'm not kidding. And then here we are, you know, what, eight months later, I have three feet of snow that just fell at my house. Again, three feet of snow has never fallen at my house. The butterflies and newts that were out, that's impacting them, right? Um, the pandemic. So we have climate change, which is causing disasters for people all over the world. Um, you know, people say, well, you know, California is crazy. No, you can't escape climate change. Look at the flooding in other areas, tornadoes. Like it is like 
the climate scientists 30 years ago that ridiculed, I don't know how they're not on every talk just going, told you so. I mean, this is exactly what they predicted. Why I love science. Um, so, you know, and then the pandemic, right? A, a consequence of unhealthy ecosystems. Like we are finding out what it means to think ourselves above the natural world in a way that perhaps other generations haven't had to grapple with as much. And, and that's where, again, science can be our guide sometimes if, you know, if it writes itself. That's why I like about science. It is a system that once you find out you're wrong, you have to shape yourself. And to your point about, yeah, we didn't know when we put in the 101 freeway what it did. It, you know, when I was coming up in conservation, again, the dominant view was, yeah, you put a side of your 70, you put a wide a wildlife refuge here. We check wildlife who, you know, if we put a road in, we like, you know, the Santa Monica Mountains on both sides of the freeway have a lot of open space. We didn't know at the time, but science has now showed us um, that fragmentation and a lack of connectivity in landscapes to me is everything. I feel like it gets at the root of the biodiversity and climate crisis. And you, you touched upon something too for our convenience. And it, you know, it is really working on this project has really opened my eyes in the challenges to connectivity, not just with roads. You know, it, uh, it extends in so many different places. For instance, trails. We think trails are benign, right? Okay, you put a trail in, you know, in this open space on both sides, who cares? Actually, where you put a trail and what what type of recreation on a trail can be very important. I have a trail near me. Now, I live in the middle of nowhere. Um, there's a trail that they um, want to improve, and, and they already have started encouraging mountain bikes on it. Now, I love mountain biking. Don't get me wrong. Um, but this was a trail that got very little use. It is an important butterfly migration path, an important newt migration path. It is going to, it already, the, the, the mortality. Do we really need another mountain biking trail? There's three others around it. You know, I think at some point we can't just, we have to put limits even on recreation. I love mountain biking, but I will gladly mountain bike in another place so that I don't kill newts or butterflies, right? It, it's not that we can't do these things. It's that we do have to have a, a different consciousness of how we do them. And I, you know, another example, light pollution, you know, even something is leaving on your lights all night can disrupt bird migrations and, and cause the death of some animals. So let's and rethink insects that. too, I'm finding. Exactly. Insects. I mean, you could just go down the list. Um, uh, water. Like I was, there's a great video that shows a whale trying to feed uh, and he's hitting all these shipping lanes and how he bow, you know, they had a GPS on him and how he's trying to bounce back. Um there's a video, I'm telling you, it'll be the best 10 minutes you've ever spent in your life. It's called Tadpoles, The Big Little Migration. It's on YouTube. He's a great filmmaker. He gets in a scuba gear and shows tadpoles going back and forth across a pond. And it really hit me. Yeah, even if something is swimming at certain times of year can disrupt, you know, migration patterns. So I think we really have to look at our human activities differently. It's not that we can't do human things. I feel like the wildlife crossing is a perfect example of that. We can both drive and create safe passage for wildlife. It's not either or, but we have to start thinking about, yes, how we build our infrastructure or our recreational activities differently, or else we are going to doom wildlife. And if we do wildlife, we are dooming ourselves, as again, we, we talked about. Right. <laughs>
Right. And, and I think, you know, the change in consciousness is big. Maybe I'm still an optimist, but I like to still think that once most people get the information about something, like for example, the trail near your, your house, if, if people understood what that improvement was going to do, I feel like the vast majority of people be like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to add fuel to that fire and cause that problem. And, you know, with people on the 101 freeway now, they get this huge, you know, reminder of their impact, you know, just going on their daily commute. Um, so I, I, I do think that there is something to be said about that. And, and, and thinking of like the freeway kind of as, as a huge trail that we created, you know what I mean? Like, a huge trail that we didn't really contemplate the impact of. And even on these smaller scales in our local areas, those, those I love that thinking of those things as having impact and, you know, not just doing things because we can. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I do think it's interesting to me, like working on this trail, the stubbornness of some recreationists, like, well, I don't care. I still want a mountain bike or I still want to do this. Um, Like, guys, come on. Like, really? But on the other hand, yes, I do agree. And I think the wildlife crossing shows us that for a lot of people in the world, once you know, you you don't, like, rat poison is a great example. Most people just don't know. But P-22, again, was another great example. You know, people are seeing his face, you know, in 2015 or whatever year it was, looking horribly sick. And he raised the consciousness around rat poison. And a lot of people, yes, that we worked with who just were, you know, in these communities, oh, we didn't know and they stopped. Same thing about wildlife crossing. I think his plight really raised the consciousness about what we needed to do. So much so that, yeah, that project got very little, you know, protest. So I agree with you. I, and I think that gets back to, like, the, my approach to my work is it's that love that is going to inspire change. Now, I can go to these meetings and give, and I have, like, on this trail, and present all the science around how we have to look at recreation differently as a recreationist. I hike, I mountain bike, I do that, all that. But I can present the data and and do, and it doesn't really catch on. You need it. But it, but I put up a photo of a newt that has been mushed in the expression on his face by a mountain bike. Now it hits home in a way that it didn't. And I think that, again, is kind of like the P-22 approach, right? You really have to personalize the impacts in a way that a scientific paper doesn't. You need the science, but for people to change their behavior, that is less about the science and more about that storytelling around the repercussion. You know, we got a wildlife crossing built. The science had been there for, for years, but we got a wildlife crossing built because P-22 really showed people the consequences to him and other wildlife, the dire consequences of this lack of connectivity in a way that a scientific paper just didn't for most people, right? So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think most people will shift, not all, but but that story has to be told in the right way for it to kind of register, right? I mean, that's just yeah. human nature. I think, you know? I think, yeah, we're totally learning that science, good science doesn't go far without empathy, I think. Yeah, you need both. We're not creating, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I want to kind of wrap up a little bit, but you know, I know P22, and you've mentioned many times in your postings when you were kind of posting as P22, um, and then, you know, monitoring all the social media and kind of the hype around P22. I know P22 changed your life. Um, 
how how has that impacted you since his life you know covering his life being having a relationship with his life and then also in death what has that been like for you in your life and how has he changed your life yeah i mean i i was choking with somebody that um you know p22 in some respects has been the most successful serious relationship of my life and <laughs> Um, it's, it's probably no accident that we only met once, uh, you know, that's why it was successful, right? But, <laughs> you know, I think any good relationship helps you grow. And that's what P22 did for me. When I read about him in 2012, that first article, like a lot of people was like, what? I mean, no way. There's no way. I mean, I really thought it was fake. You know, fake news wasn't a term at the time, but I would have used it. And, and then even... When Jeff Sickich, who's now a good friend, you know, I called him up, is this true? And then he offers to take me on a tour of Griffith Park, which I had never been to Griffith Park back then, you know, um, like a good snobbish Northern Californian. I'm from Boston originally, but you know, I lived in Northern California most of my life. I'd been to LA like five times, right? I'd never, but I just, I remember that day so vividly because Jeff's talking to me about not just P22, but about what all these mountain lions are going through. And at first, like my aversion to it, this is so urban and but I did have one of those life-changing moments, both personally and professionally, that forced me to reconsider science, forced me to reconsider my, you know, um, sort of philosophy on how to do conservation. And and P22 did that, that how dare I? Like, if this is the cat's only way he can survive, that's not up to me. That's up to him, whether it's appropriate. You know, he's obviously said it's appropriate for him to live here because he's here, right? I don't... Um, so he, he really did, you know, somebody, again, who grew up wanting to work in national parks, who worked in Yellowstone and Yosemite, you know, I I really come from more of that traditional parky background where, you know, wildlife should be in these remote places. It really shifted my thinking radically so much so, like, I'm now this urban wildlife champion. So it's, it was a gift from him. And, you know, I can't thank that cat enough. And I, and I told him so when... I got to sit with him that, you know, he, he changed me in a way that was profound, but in doing so changed the game for his species and for the future of wildlife, because it has shifted not just my thinking in actions, but so many others. So, you know, the celebration of life we did, which was just, it, it was so beautiful, you know, from Rain Wilson singing about cougar poo to, you know, Gavin Newsom piping into the kids, like those little kids who, oh my God, we had a lot of student performances, but that little kid saying he wanted to be an architect because of P22. I mean, think about that, right? But one of the biggest game changers there was that the director of Caltrans came and spoke. Think about that for a minute. The largest education agency in the world, right? You know, but one of the biggest bureaucracies you can think of um, focused on transportation. And you had their director come to honor a mountain lion. P22, that, that's game-changing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Beth, I wondered if we could just pull up the eulogy that you wrote to P22, and if you could just read the first two little paragraphs there, because I thought it was so beautiful and really just kind of said so much. Yeah, I can pull it up. Um, yeah, you know, it was... It was hard to write. Um, uh, I literally wrote it about 2 a.m. I had just come back from seeing him 
you know, the day before he was euthanized, which was, again, one of the most profoundly moving moments of my life to sit with him and talk with him, but also the saddest, you know, knowing I couldn't do anything to help him, you know, I mean, it was really hard, but, um, but yeah, I knew, you know, I had to write something and it was 2 a.m. and I'm writing this in tears. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not even sure how articulate I'm being because I'm just the grief. But the response, I mean, you know, I kind of posted it almost as an afterthought. And like it had like, I had to turn off my alerts. I think it had like 10,000 shares in like an hour, um, which to me was hopeful, right? This is how folks were mourning. But yeah, I can read the first, um, uh, let's see. I write this eulogy while looking across one of the 10-lane freeways P-22 somehow miraculously crossed in 2012, gazing at a view of his home, Griffith Park. Burbank Peak and the other hills that mark the terminus of the Santa Monica Mountains emerge from this urban island like sentinels making a last stand against the second largest city in the country. The traffic noise never ceases. Helicopters fly overhead. The lights of the city give the sky no peace. Yet I'm out lying lived here, right here in Los Angeles. I I think, you know, you, I, I just feel like you and P22 were just kind of like destined to, to kind of come <laughs> together. Because I think, you know, without you, P22 probably would have just been another, you know, another collared mountain lion, another, <laughs> you know, or another thorn in the side for the general public. And another misunderstood predator in an urban landscape, you know, and but but with with your help and your advocacy, he really did change the world. He impacted so many lives, but that really was driven by your work and your advocacy. And so, I mean, any kind of final thoughts on that? I, I, I know you're 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 very humble about this, but I mean, I, I really do think that you guys really did go hand in hand with this legacy. Well, thank you. I mean, listen, uh, I, it does take a village. Obviously, we wouldn't be here without the National Park Service. The I consider them hero scientists or, you know, Caltrans for being willing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it did take somebody stubborn and relentless like me as part of that team to just be out there advocating and being his voice. Or um, it was hard. I mean, listen, even my own organization, um, people to this day don't like the approach I take, um, you know, even like the celebration of life, it was interesting, that kind of old school, not so much in my organization, but across the world and country, um, people were critical of you're holding a celebration of life for a mountain lion. You guys are crying. I mean, it, it's just so interesting how threatened people get with kind of a new approach, but, um, listen, it was a gift to be his voice. And I'm just glad when I did get to meet him at the end, he wasn't like, F you Pratt, you've been putting my face on t-shirts and like you're that girl I got words for you um but it was a gift and I think um I agree it was sort of one of those great partnerships I'm trying to think of like I don't know what occurred to me was like for some reason I'm a Star Wars fan Han Solo and Chewbacca I don't know like it was just one of those Mm -hmm. like great partnerships where we both (laughs) brought strengths to the um to it and recognize you know how we could both help each other in in the world so um no I feel like it was a gift um but I guess the reason I'm humble about it is you know it morally I just wouldn't know anything differently to do you know what I mean I I just feel like learning about the plight p22 faced and that his whole not just him but his whole species 
you know, his whole Motley relatives were about to go extinct. Like, it just became a moral imperative to me. It, it was just what I would do. And it, it was a long journey, not without dark moments of the soul and challenges, but I just wouldn't know to do anything differently. So, yeah, I just received an award and I even said, I'm just uncomfortable with this. It's, it's like, I just don't know how else to be. I don't feel like I deserve any latitudes for it. I don't feel like I could take a victory lap because there's still so much work, work to do. On the other hand, especially around both the private and beautifully led indigenous, you know, indigenous led service to the celebration of life, to more crossings getting billed worldwide, to people thinking of wildlife differently. That feels good as somebody who's dedicated my, my life to protecting wildlife that P22 and I together could move the dial that significantly. Um, I will feel good about that, not because of personal satisfaction, but more, that's a good future for wildlife. If you want to see photos of Beth and P22, as well as beautiful original artwork for this episode, check out our new website at earthtohumanspod.com. And be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter where you can get much more in-depth, behind-the-scenes info about us, the producers, and what goes into each episode of the show. This episode was produced and edited by me, Serena Simons, and today's music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Earth to Humans is produced every other week by Matt Podolsky, Hannah Mulvaney, and me. And we work hard to keep connecting you to stories about our beautiful, crazy planet, So let us know what you think by leaving us a review wherever you are listening now. On the next episode of the podcast, Hannah speaks with the filmmakers behind a very unique story about a rare two-foot-long salamander and the unexpected group of people that banded together to try and protect its home.